0: Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Ibanez Guitars and Basses. Ibanez strives to make high-quality, cutting-edge musical instruments that any musician can afford and enjoy. Visit Ibanez.com for more info. And now your hosts, Joey Sturges, Joel Wanasek, and Al Levy. Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. I am Al Levy. I am... Without Joel and Joey this time, I'm sure you guys have noticed that we're not always on all the podcasts, and that's because of a few things. Number one, we're trying to record more podcasts than ever these days. I'm not sure if you guys have noticed that we put out 13 episodes last month, up from an average of four or five. That's a lot of episodes. And also... Factor in that we've been traveling a lot. Like uh, I logged twenty thousand sky miles last month, and I didn't even leave the country. Was home maybe four days the entire month. So with all that traveling, with all the different things we're doing, uh, the schedules aren't always lining up. But we are striving to give you the best content we can and as much as we can and so uh with that i'm going to introduce a special guest we've had him on before and when we had him on last time we i remember us saying that we should do this again because we could have probably talked for about two more hours so let me introduce mr jay moss again welcome hey thanks Hi. Hi. All right, cool. Podcast's over. (laughs) That was great. It was great. It was great having you. Um, Thanks. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. See you next time. Yeah, dude. Cool. We should do this again. So, well, welcome back. I remember last time we talked to you, you were in Australia and you were almost going to be a dad and now you're in the United States and you are a dad, but almost going to go to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> so that's
1: what <laughs> I am a dad and it's been awesome. He's Congrats. Thank you very much. He's he's great. He actually spends a lot of time in the studio with me because he's a pretty chill baby and he has a tendency to fall asleep listening to bass guitar tracks like being recorded. So we just like use whatever tool we have in our arsenal to make him happy and sleepy. (laughs) And sometimes bringing him to work is one of those tools. So I think, you know, he's pretty much a shoe in for future intern. And yeah. And I go back to Australia to do two records, uh, this weekend. Um, and this will be our first international flight. It's pretty much like the longest possible flight you could have. And I'm going to do it with an infant, which makes me, Equally courageous and dumb, but it's gonna be fun. We're gonna do a couple of records, we're gonna see some friends, we're gonna see some family. My wife's from Sydney, so uh, I met her while being a guy who goes to Australia, and, and then I brought her home with me. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: Import. <laughs> That's, do you have to pay a tariff?
1: Uh, you know, I snuck it in right before the election, so it's okay. Oh, okay, yeah. perfect. <laughs> yeah. Thank God I wasn't a year late. You know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> amazing. Yeah. So I, you know, I've been talking to, I guess, kids who have super talented dads, and I'm I'm one of those as well. Uh, I just spoke to Diego from Volumes, whose dad is a Grammy-winning producer. They've actually won a Grammy together. My dad's a uh, a pretty well-known symphony conductor, nice. um, and we just did nail the mix with like Kane Cherko, whose dad is Kevin Cherko, the uh, the incredible producer. We've also had Kevin on the podcast, and uh, it sounds to me like in some way you're uh, you're definitely starting to wire that kid up early for this for music. Yeah, trying. He'll be the he'll be the first one that has any,
1: I guess, musical. Dads, like like my family, like we're pretty sure I'm switched at the hospital or something because no one in my family <laughs> like cares about music. Like it's no one is musical whatsoever. Like my, my dad sells cars and my mom's like a works for Fidelity Investments. You know, it's like not <laughs> Yeah, it's just like not a thing. And I was just the weird kid who wanted to skateboard all the time and listen to punk rock. And that just sort of, I don't know, marinated into, you know. Doing my own bands, starting to record my own bands, and then being like very in the scene, like very in the network, at least here in Boston, and having people go, Oh, wow, like, can you do my demo?
0: And I was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, next thing you knew, you're like, Oh, this is like what I do. Well, the thing that uh, I guess Diego and Kane had in common was that their dad already had a career going when they were kids. And so they were immersed in it from a super young age like they were just kind of like you're doing with your kid from just from the get go he's there in the studio with you already traveling like they were doing stuff like that all through their childhood and so by the time they were in their teens they already had the skills of like totally a a kid who just got out of recording school and is looking for an internship
1: Uh
0: Um, so by the time they were in their 20s they were already fucking badass yeah like way ahead of the curve yeah so who knows? You might be creating a monster there. I hope
1: I am. Um, I know just from like the hard work and sort of. I I always laugh. I like I don't know how to do that many things, but I get really myopic and like really focused about like the two or three things I want to do. Like it was skateboarding for me for a long time, and I blew. Up, I was like got became like semi pro. I was doing competitions, like all this stuff, you know, free skateboards, the whole thing, and. I'm fucking six four, so I blew up my knee, and that was kind of that. So, damn, I'm, you're tall. I'm tall, dude. Yeah. So, Kurt and I are the same height, actually. Um, what? Yeah. He, damn. Okay. You guys are huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except he could like, if he punched me, I, like I wouldn't wake up. He's just got, a, <laughs> he, he's got a few pounds on me. But uh, oh, we should we should circle back to that because he just had a kid too, and like we do like weird dad dates now. But um, yeah, so I. um well, I don't even know what I was saying. Oh, I was just like skater kid, got into it, skateboarding, got all fucked up. And then I switched to like, all right, I should probably just start doing music more. Started going on tour, um, loved punk growing up. And yeah, and then started my own studio. Oh, actually, you know, I started this whole thing because I had my first real recording experiences were with Kurt at God City, like the old God City. Um, mm-hmm. And... It was great. It's all all kinds of stories there. I probably shouldn't tell, but like the, um, but, and I, I had this new band. I didn't know what we were going to do. I didn't know if it was going to be like, if the dudes were dedicated, I didn't, I don't know. I didn't feel like spending a bunch of dough on it, so. I was like, I'll just take the money that I wouldn't, sorry, Kurt, by the way, (laughs) I take the money that I'd normally like give (laughs) give to Kurt and I'll just, uh, he's he's doing fine, man. He's, he's he's fine. (laughs) But, (laughs) but yeah, I took that money and I was like, yeah, okay, well like, I'll just buy some stuff to, we'll just make demos ourselves. And this way the songs aren't even finished being written. Like, we'll just do this, you know, on our own and do whatever. And that's like how I got the bug. That's how I got started. It was basically (laughs) shorting Kurt on my new band and starting my own little studio in my basement
0: uh, you know what you know what though so I've talked about this with a lot of producers who sometimes they get butt hurt when the underling or something then you know takes a band that they were working Tony. with or Tony. something like that but that's just how what do you expect that's how that's how the next generation comes about that's yep. how you get new blood in the scene good producers are not created in a vacuum most of the time, they're created through working with somebody awesome like Kurt yep. or, you know, pick someone that we've had on now the mix or the podcast or whatever. Like uh, it's usually through working through with someone like that. And then at some point, if you're good and you're not a total weirdo uh, one of those bands is going to decide to go with you or something. And that's just life. So best to not get pissy about it and to just congratulate the person, because we are all that person at some point, I think. It's just the natural order of things, that at some point they're going to get one of your projects, or that they're not going to come back to you, and uh, you should congratulate them. (laughs) I've noticed that with just about every single producer, but I've heard that even back in the day with uh, Andy Sneap and Colin Richardson, it was like that, that Andy worked under Colin, and at some point, Andy started getting some of Colin's gigs.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what happened with Putney Machine, kind of what happened with Corniff and Bendith, right? Yep. Yep. And to some degree, on a smaller scale, uh, it just happened to me. So I have a full time assistant here. And he hit me up. He was like, Hey, when are you, I'm going to California for my sister's wedding. And he's like, when are you going to be in California? The, you know, the A room will be free. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, who do you have coming in? And the band he has coming in, like I did their last LP, you know, (laughs) I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) But it's cool. He's so talented and I'm happy to see him start landing at work, you know, independent of me. I think it's great. By the way, anyone who's listening, his name is Daniel Flores. And um, uh, he's actually from Bogota, Colombia. His English is amazing. And he took a huge chance. Like, um, I sponsored his visa. He and his wife came out here, um, you know, to work for me. And I can't say enough good things about him. He's amazing. Uh, I think I have the best assistant ever and uh, happy to see him like really actually kind of like spreading his wings in Boston a little bit, you know, landing his own stuff. And his mixes are super good.
0: How did he convince you to let him work for you? Because that's that's kind of kind of bold. Like, uh, I will move from Columbia.
1: (laughs) The reason he convinced me is because he was already taking trips To the States to intern at other studios. So, and one day, so he'd always hit me up, you know, online and was just like, Hey, can you listen to my mix? Hey, I really like this mix you did. We would just shoot the shit. And I get a fair number of people, excuse me, who, you know, kind of do that. And I'm always happy to talk to them. And at the time, because I didn't know him from a hole in the wall, right? Like he was just like one of those guys that would hit me up and be like, Yo, Counterparts is sick and you're awesome. And I was like, Oh, thanks, man. (laughs) And, um, then one day he's like, hey, I'm in Boston. Like, can I come up to the studio today? And uh, I saw no harm in it. He's like, I'll take the train, like whatever I got to do. You know, he seemed really motivated. So I was like, yeah, of course. So I grabbed him. He spent a day with me. We recorded this like funny kind of like pop punk band from Boston where the singer is like pretty much autistic, but he doesn't know it. And uh, we kind of laughed about it together. <laughs> and But the band's actually super good. Sorry, the off season. Sorry, Ian. Uh, but um, <laughs> I was recording them that day. <laughs> I'll have to tell him about this podcast, they'll lose a shit. But uh In a good way or a bad way? <laughs> we'll see how we'll see how the chips fall. Uh but, all right. <laughs> but yeah, so he came up and I've had a lot of interns and he wasn't my intern yet or anything, but just he was he asked the right questions. The questions you would ask someone if you wanted them to know that you were actually intelligent. Uh and I was like, Oh, okay, cool. His studio etiquette was really good. Uh, he vibed with people well, so that was cool. Then, uh, about a year later, I'm talking to him. He's like, "Yeah, I've been working at. He's on a six month thing here in the states, and he's like, kind of working for free at Studio G in Brooklyn with uh, Joel Hamilton, which is a great studio, great engineer. And he's, li- dude, he's living. This whole podcast would be about fucking Daniel, but whatever. He's li- he's living in a <laughs> punk squat with like." a weird hippie woman named Buttons who takes on many lovers and but buttons from Brooklyn. Buttons, huh? And <laughs> and he's like paying three hundred and fifty bucks a month. They're like
0: stealing power via like a weird wait, 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 wait. You can't just you can't just gloss over that. So she takes on many lovers. Yeah. Was he one of them? No, I don't. He says no,
1: and I believe him. <laughs> but,
0: but uh, so so he's not. So was he paying? So do they pay rent to sleep with her?
1: No, I don't. I don't think so. I think she was just a very free-spirited individual. Ah, uh, freedom, freedom, yes. freedom, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. and So and he's actually. You know, Columbia is a very Catholic nation. He's actually, he thinks I'm out of my mind, which is awesome. So he's like a very conservative dude and he's living with a fucking. Sounds like he picked the right roommate. Yeah. Well, the thing is, he was just picking like, yo, I like, I need the cheapest shit possible in New York, which means basically living in an illegal punk squat with a woman named Buttons for, for <laughs> 350 bucks, you know? And so he's doing that. And then he kind of hits his wit, wit's end with it. Sorry, Buttons. Daniel wasn't feeling it. And um, and so I'm talking to him and I was like, dude, like spend your next three months up here. Like room and board. I got you, man. You know, I'll hook you up with food, like whatever you need and just come. Cause I liked him. You know, we talked a lot. I was like, just come assist. And he's like, ah, uh, let me think on that. And then I think that night or the next day he was like, I can be there tomorrow. (laughs) And uh, I was like, yeah, fuck it, dude, come. He actually showed up on my birthday. Um, So we picked him up and got him kind of going. And he did. He lived here for a few months. And we just did a bunch of records together. And I really was right around then where I really got a feel for like how good he was, how smart he was. And when he was like, you know, ultimately, my goal is to come to the States, There's just better bands here, bigger bands. It's actually like happening here. You know, in Colombia, it's just not the same. And I was happy to help him out, you know, in any way I could to get that done because every other fucking intern I've ever had sucked. And he's a really good dude. So I, uh, yeah, I helped an immigrant get
0: in. Take that. (laughs) Very relevant in these times Mm -hmm. you're living in. Quite. So that brings up a question because I get hit up by lots of people who want to come to the U.S. for a recording career, and they're always looking at New York or L.A., and and in so, and I get it. I understand why they would want to go there. Like, I know one guy who came in, I think, from Lebanon, and he went to, or Jordan, I'm sorry, he came in from Jordan, and uh, he went to Columbus, Ohio, and now he's moving to L.A. because... What are you going to do in Columbus, Ohio to develop a recording career? Probably not much. But at the same time, LA is kind of a a shit show if you're not established. Oh, yeah. So what are are your thoughts on that? What would you say to people trying to get in this country? Like, where should they start? So I think it all depends on kind of like your, your client acquisition
1: abilities. I've hit a nice place where I could live anywhere. Most of my clients need an airplane at this point so it, they don't really care where I am you know I do still have you know my my base here of dudes who are in the New England area and it's drivable but I would say that's that shifted from you know when I started that's all I got and now that's sort of shifted more to like the minority percentage of what I do is people who could take a car who would reasonably want to take a car to come here. We do a lot of airport runs. So, but you know, until you I guess until you are at a point where you can do that or you sort of get that, yeah, you go, you go where the clients are. But that means like you're gonna be living with buttons, man. You know what I mean? She's gonna take on many lovers yeah. and she's gonna <laughs> she's gonna keep you up all night and you gotta sleep through it and you gotta wake up fucking bright eyed and bushy tailed and ready to record you know and (laughs) and yeah like you know budgets aren't what they used to be or even close so if you're passionate about the the industry you're passionate about the job it's what you really want to do i would not recommend this career for someone who's like trying to kill it like just go be a computer science major you know what i mean go learn java do that you go work for Kayak.com and just program their back end. Make a cool 120. They'll probably have a beer fridge for you in the after hours. But if you're passionate about music, you might have to live with buttons.
0: And while you develop your client base, it, it's tough. Let me read you a post that uh, Will Putney just made. Let me let me find it real quick. It's relevant to this conversation. Is this where he's looking for an intern? He says a pays shit, yeah. but you'll
1: learn the special sauce. Yeah, yeah. I gotta, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I want
0: to Read it word for word This internet is going slow I'm in a hotel as usual Okay Whoopunny posted We're looking for a new studio intern Send a resume to will at graphicnature.com If you're interested Pay is shitty but you'll learn the recipe for the special sauce Must have a car And not be a weirdo Basic understanding of recording Is cool too So let me just uh, Take that apart real quick The very first thing he said was that the pay is shitty, but you'll learn great shit. So just to to go along with what you said, that if you're looking to kill it right away, this is not not the right move. And uh, then he moved on from, okay, you got to be cool with uh, shitty pay to uh, must have some sort of self-sufficiency and not be a weirdo. The uh, the music part didn't even factor into it until the very very end. Yeah, interesting how the the list of priorities there. Music was the last thing, and the first thing was got to be able to put up with shit. Yep, and not be a weirdo, and not be a moocher.
1: Yeah, I mean that all makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. If you have, I mean, if you have the heart, I guess if you're willing to put up with the shit, if you're really dedicated to learning then that's that's what we all want to see. This is not a flash-in-the-pan business at all. I, dude, I, my boy Mike moved to L.A. He did the L.A. thing. He was actually a drummer of a band I recorded when I first started, and he moved to L.A. He's building his own studio out there. But, dude, he's been just, like, grinding and grinding. He's working for, like, more major label stuff. He doesn't really make any more money than I do. He just works with maybe, like, more known artists, but... Yeah, man, same thing. Like, just it's you got to be the type of dude who's like, if you are not actually passionate about this business, I would recommend you do other things for sure. You got to really love it, uh, at least with the current state of how, like, you know, we can all feed ourselves, but like budgets and, and, and how like the industry is going right now, like, the labels aren't making as much dough. you know. People don't really buy music as much. Everyone's streaming. So the labels are finding other avenues to make money. So if they're not making as much, they're certainly not going to pay as much for the product. And as the guy who creates the product, that very directly
0: affects you. Yeah, you can still do pretty well, though. But you're absolutely right that there's there's not as much money to go around for extras like employees and right. things like that. So it, I, I think that's another reason that producers should be cool. With uh, the fact that at some point their underling is gonna have to get his own projects because the pay is not something that someone can sustain indefinitely. At some point, you know, the assist. At some point, someone's gonna need to upgrade to being the dude making the productions because assistant pay you can't really build a life off it. No. I agree. I fully agree. So the very nature of that relationship is that it's going to be a temporary thing. The Randy Staub, Bob Rock thing is, uh, you know, that ship has sailed, basically, yep. where you can be the, the guy underneath a monster and uh, and st- and kill it like that. I mean, may- maybe if you're Bob Rock's dude, you can still do well. I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know. Maybe. So, um... Let's talk about Australia a bit. Yeah. You seem to go there a lot. I <laughs> do.
1: <Dude, laughs> so much. Uh fortunately, it's like it's it's not like it's Antarctica, you know what I mean? Like it's an
0: awesome place. So I'm happy to go there. I want to go there. Dude,
1: it's basically if California was a continent. I don't know what I
0: would do there. If California was a continent. Okay, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. But
1: also filled with like everything there you know, uh animals and insects will kill you. For sure.
0: <laughs> well, I lived in Florida, so I'm already used
1: to that. Yeah, Florida, not not my favorite place, but No, me neither. Yeah, Australia's great, man. But so I we started going there Actually, the first time I went there was to help my friend, Marty, who sang for a band called Carpathian, um, opened a studio in Melbourne, Australia, which is my favorite city there. Sorry to all the other Australian residents who think their cities better. Uh, you're wrong. <laughs> the <laughs> Many good cities. Like, there's really only five cities in Australia, right? You got Adelaide, Perth, Melbourne, Sydney, fucking Brisbane, and you sort of have Newcastle. You have like five and a half. It's not like the States. Like we got like... We got like five cities, major cities, like in New England. So it's like the size of America with a tenth of the population. But that sounds great. Uh, it kind of is, dude. Anyway, so I went out there. I was helping my buddy open a studio. Then you know, last year um, I parted ways with Defeater, but you know, I we built Defeater, and I was fucking uh, the main dude in that band for eight years. So we toured Australia a bunch of times, and always had a good time made great relationships with labels and bands and whatever, and tour managers and you name it. Uh, My last tour there, you know, found the fucking mother of my child. (laughs) You know, so it's a pretty good trip. But yeah, so I just networked down there. Uh, That Carpathian record I did, did really well on like the mainstream charts. So that set me up for people kind of knowing me a little down there. And next thing I knew, I just had emails coming in. Yo, like... Especially when the Australian dollar, there was a period there. Where like our housing market crashed, the Australian dollar was like pretty much worth the exact same amount as the American dollar. But Australia actually pays people like a livable wage, unlike our country. So, like, you know, you work at a pizza place, you make twenty five dollars an hour, and <laughs>
0: no, I know it's true, it's true. I know I'm just laughing. No,
1: but it's like very true. Like you make like twenty five dollars an hour, you hand pizza to people, right? And then you're like, ah, oh, but I have my cool band and. You know, you don't have, you live with your friends, you don't have very high expenses, and your dollars, the equivalent of the US dollar. So you're like, man, I really like this or that record. Why don't we just have Jay come out and fucking do ours? And Jay says, sure. So we, I go out and um, I've just done, I've kind of lost track. I've done a lot of records in Australia. I'm about to do two more. Last time we talked, I was out there, I did four while I was there, and I did, I think what I do, I did like one in Brisbane, two in Melbourne and like one in Sydney and everyone, dude, I, two of the bands were signed and then like two of the other bands that I worked with got signed off the recordings we did. So things have just been good and we just have a ton of friends and dude, the girls are so hot and it's just cool. It's a cool place. And they, li- and they like Americans. I have had a good run. I don't, I, I presumably, yeah, presumably they do. That's what I've heard. I Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I was dude, I was on an airplane, just a little puddle jumper, just like a one hour flight, whatever. And I'm talking to these women that are in my aisle and they're probably like whatever in their fifties. We're just shooting the shit. Oh, you're American, blah, blah, blah. Okay. No bullshit. This shit does not happen to me in the United States of America. The girl who's sitting in front of me, very attractive, you know, whatever, not if I had to like draw a girl, she wouldn't be like the girl I drew, but I can't deny the fact that she's, you know, a looker. She just turns around and she just goes, I love your accent. You know? And I forget. I forget that I have an accent. So I just, I'm like, (laughs) I just go, oh, yeah, thanks. Well, fucking, I'm married. So, but
0: it's flattering all the same. Well, of course, no one in the States is going to tell you that they love your accent. No, of course. Yeah. But it's just that little leg up that I wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the same way that uh dudes with a British accent have a leg up when they come here. Uh, they near.
1: slay. They fucking slay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. I know. At
0: <laughs> I feel like I should take acting classes. Definitely work on that British accent. So, what about going from studio to studio? How how do you uh how do you make do with that do, like or do you have them all come to one central studio no, that no, you like no. to work at? I just, or do you just adapt? I just
1: work wherever. Awesome. I've I've really found that no matter where I work, no matter what I'm working on, uh, who I'm working with, my records sound like me. It's it blows my mind. Where I I'm like, cool. I was like on a different continent, in a different place, with different gear, and a bunch of fucking, you know, I/O and routing that I'm just like, oh, this doesn't make any sense to me right away. Whatever, But I'm there to make art. I'm there to, like, I care way more about, like, the songs and, like, the interpersonal relationships and, like, getting inside the artist's head and all that stuff. So, like, I'm really concerned with that. We'll figure out the signal chain. The guitars will sound good. The fucking drums will sound good, whatever. But all those records end up sounding like me, ultimately. And that was, like, kind of eye-opening where I was like, wow, I just did did and mixed this record with none of my things. <laughs> including my country, right? And like
0: it still sounds it sounds good and it sounds like you know, one of my records when I first it just goes to show man, it goes to show we always tell people that it's not the gear, it's the it's the person using it that that's what matters and you can take a great mixer and give them all stock plugins or put them in a right. the shitty studio and and they'll still put out great stuff because It's all about the person using the gear and the ears and their brain, you know, and what they bring to the table mentally. That's what really matters.
1: Oh, dude, I I couldn't agree more. When I first started getting into this, I read some sort of forum or post where some older guy said, you know, I would take an old engineer who's made a bunch of great records, who has like a tape deck and three SM57s over some kid who has every tool at his disposal, you know? Hell yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Of course. So and that really stands, you know, I experienced that. And now I'm kind of on the other side of it. I like couldn't agree more. It's very, very true. So uh, I was petrified though. Like when I first started going into like, oh, hey, welcome to a studio. Like for the first time ever, like this isn't your shit. Like this isn't your live room. This like, this isn't your program. This isn't your mouse, you know, <laughs> like here's a patch bay that you didn't wire. So like, you're like, ah, and I was ter- terrified, of course, you know, I was trying not to show it and I was trying to do a good job and whatever. And, you know, dude, that's stuff you can get through. Uh, that stuff is just, that's nerd shit, man. Like the stuff that matters is like, are you an artist? Are you committed to making something special at any cost? And I've learned that Sonics, like how much 50 Hertz your kick drum have, has like, that's cool if it's like an artistic decision, but there's no like, there's no like amount of sub that a kick drum has to have. There's, you know, there's no amount of like top end of vocal has to have like what a record needs to have in my opinion is a human to human connection where you, you share these like special hours, days, weeks, months with an artist and you're an artist yourself. And you guys came together and through that sort of interconnectivity and you made something that people want to hear because dude you can listen to a white stripes album and you can listen to a Sugar album and they're both very successful that alone just proves that sonics while the artist the, the producers should have a pretty good understanding of them are in a way irrelevant because you're you're creating something unique independently that should translate to other people.
0: I agree, and I've got two uh, two things to say about that. Number one is there's a video that Eric Valentine made for Sound On Sound recently, where he shows his Queens of the Stone yeah, Age guitar that. tone. Right, and he boosts the mids to a ridiculous degree, like something that we would never do in metal. The amount of low mids that he boosted was just like, holy shit, if I did that on a metal record, it would sound like honky trash. Right. But, like, God, it sounded so goddamn good um, for that, for what he was doing. And it just goes to show that the Sonics, you know, you can sit there with these rules, but they don't matter. What matters is the emotional impact that you're making and whether or not the, uh, you're, you're true to the art. Those kinds of, uh, like, I know certain metal guys who would never in their life think of boosting mids like that on a guitar and they wouldn't be making a record that sounded like that either. The other thing I wanted to say was that speaking of your adaptability, I I have a feeling that your touring career has helped with that because I feel like there's a lot of things I hate about touring and uh, I was really glad to stop but the one thing that I really, really think helped me in my life was that you learn to improvise and you learn to adapt because even though you're playing the same songs every night um, or almost the same songs every night, you're in a new situation um, and there's and every venue has its own set of problems. Oh, yeah. And unless you're in Slipknot or something or like a really big band, you're going to have to deal with those problems and resolve them yourself. And uh, even if you get onto like a big tour like... Mayhem was, or Ozfest, or something like that. Even if you're on a big tour like that, then you have to deal with, like, insanely fast changeover times. Uh, What if something goes wrong? you got to improvise a solution right away, or your set time gets cut by however long it takes you to, uh, you know, if you have a five-minute changeover, and then you have a problem, and it takes five minutes to fix, and you only have a 25-minute long set, suddenly you only have a 20-minute long set. So it it teaches you to think fast and to learn how to work with what's needed to get the job done and to get past that stuff really, really quickly. Like get it done, get it set up, get it going. We've got sound, we've got music. Cool. Let's focus on what's important, which is uh, rocking.
1: Totally. Uh, You know, I go back to the, for the first half of Defeater, I I just had this fifty one fifty, and you know, I I brought it on tour. Not, I didn't. I never recorded a record with it, or not any of our records. But I actually did Counterparts' current will carry us with it. But, but I never used it for any of the Defeater stuff. I thought it was like a little, I don't know, it's just like a little too gainy for like what we do. But I, I brought it on our first bunch of tours, pretty much because it was reliable and it was loud, and I'd get a lot of compliments about my guitar sound, which, for what we did, was kind of strange just because like you know we weren't like a real heavy gain we're heavy enough gain but not like crazy heavy gain band but just to sort of coincide with what you're saying one thing I really noticed was that every night I could like leave the knobs where they were the night before and it would sound like fucking ass and I was like ah weird like all I did was just Plug this back in the way it was, and it sounds not how I want it to sound. Last night it sounded tight. Tonight, no, not so much. I got to turn the knobs, and I might turn the knobs to positions that seem like entirely irrelevant to the previous night, and maybe it's just different power coming in. It's just the different venue. It's the acoustics of like, is it a floating floor? How high is the ceiling? Like, whatever, and... It, it, honestly, 5150 is kind of like fucking one trick pony. And even in that one trick pony, I still had to like mess with it every night just because every situation's different. And so you're right, like the adaptability to be like, I have a vision in mind for how my guitar sound is going to be. If you don't have that destination, then you can't. You can't drive there. and But if you do have that destination, there's very little that can stop you from getting there because you're just like, oh, this is too bright. Let me try a ribbon mic. Or, oh, this is too whatever. You know, like, let me try a different pre. Let me try a different EQ. let me. But, like, you're not making these decisions arbitrarily. You're making these decisions because, like, you have a place that, in your mind, a psychoacoustic place that you're heading towards. Um, and you'll just do whatever. And I don't—did the 57 beat the 121? Uh, cool i don't care you know <laughs> like this is what it is
0: well let me interrupt you and say that those of you that are listening who are subscribed to our urm enhanced level or have watched our eq mastery class the eqing method that we teach actually goes right along with what what jay just said about having a vision for what the end result needs to be because once you have that vision then you can figure out how to get there, and that's not just with guitar sound. Like when you're EQing, for instance, you know, LDFC we teach is listen, diagnose, fix, compare. The first two steps are listening and diagnosing because, uh, before you start moving any bands on an EQ, you should know exactly what it is you're trying to fix and what it is you're trying to achieve. Is there, does it sound too honky? Do you need it to be brighter? Like, are there ringing frequencies? Like, and how bad are they ringing? Like, you got to diagnose that stuff and know what it is you're trying to accomplish. You don't just start EQing things and hope for the best. I mean... You might end up with something cool, but you probably won't. Yeah,
1: dude. I, I think take all your tools, right? Take what whether you're fortunate enough to have like I do, like a bunch of really nice analog outboard gear that I lean on that I just like, or all your plugins, like all your microphones, all your whatever. You got to put that like put that back in the toy bin right? And just start with a signal and then listen to it in the actual fucking room that it's going to be played in and go, okay, cool. And then make a decision based on your experience and based on this sort of like psychoacoustic destination, right? And as you do it, you're heading somewhere. So then you go into the control room and, all right, dude, play. He plays. And you go, cool. All right. My presumptive like thought process brought me to maybe like 75% of where I want to be. I got another 25% to go. I thought that this would be a little bit brighter. All right. Next thought process. Does it need to be more center on the cone? Does it need to be further away from the speaker? Because it's actually the proximity effect of the microphone with those low frequencies. Are those fuckers masking like that cool, like upper mid range that you were sort of hoping for? I think why experienced engineers consistently make better records is we've just done the trial and error way, way more, and we have we can pull from this bank of like thousands of records that we made to say okay, uh, when I hear a signal in the room now, yo, and sometimes sometimes I'm still blown away by like oh that did not work out the way I wanted it to. I would say the vast majority of the time now I go oh like. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use this mic on this signal I can already I know what this mic's like I know about how far away from the speaker I want to be given how reflective the room is because I know how the proximity flecked and how the reflections are going to sort of like all play into this and then what's the monitoring like let me reference something that I know really well in these monitors to make sure if I'm not at my own studio and then I can quickly and confidently make a decision dude I am dying to get through the nerd shit always man I want to be. In the room with the dude talking about the art, the songs, yeah, like <laughs>
0: totally. So, yeah, I remember when I was at Berkeley, um, Eddie Kramer, the uh, the legendary producer Eddie uh, oh, Kramer, yeah. and Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, all kinds of huge shit. He came in to give a master class, which I snuck into because I wasn't in the recording program, and. He showed how a way to mic a drum set and he did it in about five minutes. And and it sounded fucking incredible. It was so good. And people were like, How why did you pick that? Like, how did you do it so fast? And he's like, I've been doing this for thirty years or forty years. Like I know what's gonna happen when I put that mic in that spot on that drum. I just do. Like that's all I've just been doing this forever. I just know how this works. Yeah you just have to do it a lot. I'm about to hit like the 15 year mark, which blows my
1: mind. And I, I feel that I hear a snare, I hear whatever. And I just go, Oh, okay. It's just like this little dumb click mechanism where I'm just like, yeah, one sec, let me go get the thing. I know I have to get that will make the sound the way it will in my mind. And like I said, occasionally I still can be wrong and I'll adjust from there. But typically, you know,
0: I go, yep, yeah, that, Did sound the way I thought it was going to, you know? That's why I think that uh, copying people's settings never works. Because uh, since every situation is different, I mean, so on Nail the Mix, we have mixers come on and they'll mix through a song, right? And people will watch. And what we're hoping that people pick up from it is process and thought process and strategy for solving problems, not how taylor larson eq'd that one snare so therefore you should eq every snare from that point forward on exactly like he eq'd that one snare that's, that's not what we're trying to get at what we're trying to help people understand is uh, what kind of thinking went into uh the particular solutions that the mixer uh i guess executed and some people get it and some people don't but the reason that You don't that copying those presets won't work because every situation is different and requires a different approach. And what these mixers have that a lot of students don't have is that, like you were saying, that backlog of thousands of, of hours and uh situations where they get informed by all those past situations, and so when they make an EQ move, or pick a compressor, or change the microphone it's all based on all this cumulative past experience and that's what you're not picking up when you watch someone's when you steal someone's presets so if that preset works or something it's totally by chance, but what happens when it doesn't work? What are you going to do? If you don't understand the process, <laughs> well, dude,
1: then I use it's... this preset, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I, like if you try to copy my settings, it would be the most frustrating experience in the world. Cause you'd go through all my records and be like, all of this is different. You know, <laughs> it's just like, none of this is the same. You might, you might see some trends a little bit, but no, man, like that's an, yo, perfect example, we've got a really beautiful house kit here, right? Bunch of like great snares. I could have back to back this band in, uh, the drummer's amazing. Next drummer, super shitty, right? It's like, cool. Drummer A needs no EQ whatsoever. (laughs) Drummer B, what the fuck am I going to do with this shit? Uh, and then I have to dig deep into my toolbox to make it serviceable.
0: I've told that exact same story because that happened to me in one of the first podcasts we did. A cold chamber was recording at my old place. That's tight. And yeah their drummer hits hard as fuck and it was really really well tuned and everything and sounded incredible and their session took forever and I had somebody booked who drove all the way from California mm. to Florida and the Cold Chamber session kind of just went over into this other band's session and I couldn't turn this other band around. Um So we asked, we were like, look, this is the situation. Can we at least record the drums? Um w- Can we u- use your setup? Because that way we, we right. can't turn these guys around. We won't charge you any extra time for going over, but uh we need to get this done. And they were nice enough to let us use the the cold chamber kit for the other guy. And the other guy is okay, but not nearly as good. Didn't hit nearly as hard. And man, same mics, same right. setup, same everything sounded completely different. Yep. Not nearly as good.
1: Totally. Uh, it, it, dude, uh, one thing I learned early on is tone really starts in the hands. Before you get to the instrument, before you get to the miking or the whatever, Every good sounding record I've made is because the dudes were good, you know? Uh, and I've made a bunch of records that are like sonically beautiful with kind of shitty musicians and no one really cares about them because they don't have that human to human connective nature that that a, a, a solid musician has. They don't have that ability to like basically break that Whatever that barrier is between like, I don't know, I wrote a bunch of songs too, and they're basically the same as the other ones. They don't have that like fucking unquantifiable.
0: Yeah, this uh, it's interesting, man. It's, It's really interesting. I always used to wonder what it is about these records that sound great by shitty bands and why they connect with people. And then I realized this... Probably the producer sure that's probably the uh that's probably the uh the connective tissue right, right. there is that the producer is the great guitar player right. and right. songwriter who uh who's making this happen so I'm wondering something about like when you go out of town, I have noticed that when I travel and you may have already answered this but sometimes when I travel um A lot of things might not be quite up to what standard I'm used to, in a way, in that there's like a level of preparation that the bands don't have. Definitely. And there's a level of professionalism that the studios don't have. Um, Sometimes they do, but oftentimes they don't. Um, And how do you work with that aspect? I find that... I find that to be the more challenging part. Like the not that maybe it's not the nicest studio, but more that just the the professionalism isn't quite what, there, and that the the bands sometimes have like a super local attitude. Yeah,
1: um, I that happened to me. Uh, I feel like I'm gonna tell the story, and the band's gonna know. But so 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 be it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I flew out very far. Maybe it was Australia, maybe it wasn't, but it was. And um <laughs> I flew out and you know we're doing a full length and the band, you know, really financially was putting themselves out there. Both between my fee, uh the studio hire, and then on top of it we rented uh to cut drums, we rented like this million dollar studio that's like probably one of the nicest studios I've been in. You know, and they're like, "Yeah, so it's day one, we're going to do pre-pro for a couple of days and then go cut drums." and they have four songs that's it and i'm like yo but like we're supposed to be doing a full length they're like yeah we got four and we we are four and we got some riffs and i was like oh my god so i've i've <laughs> just flown across the world i've got all this shit booked out i've got this whole situation and we got fucking four songs and some riffs you know and i'm like okay huh so if i may this band's actually really good I don't know if they were just like way too into Call of Duty or like what the problem was, but like it was just like once we started working together, I was like, this is awesome. Like I'm stoked on what we're doing. And then we're listening to the demos and I, you know, I've got program drums on the demos. and I look at the drummer and I say, yeah, so. Uh this that fill is a little weird. I presume that when you play this live, maybe you do a little bit more of a la da 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 whatever the fuck, right? And he just goes, "Oh yeah, no, I've never played any of these songs before." <laughs> 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 I was like, like, wait, like ever on real drums? He's like, "No, nah, but I can do it." And I was like, "Oh my god. So now fucking <laughs> I'm renting We're renting a fucking little practice area from, you know, the house studio's buddy who lives down the road. We're like cutting demos. I'm making the bands, two singers. Just even if you don't have words, please lay down vocal melodies. Let's put some scratch tracks together. I'll put a click track together. I'll make something playable. And then tomorrow, like homie just has to go spend all day just kind of getting like his muscle memory in place. And we were fortunate that he's like, very good at drums, so he was able to do it. But you know, in other situations, would be totally screwed. But to further your point, yes, like I've had that experience where I was like, <laughs> like yo, I, like, <laughs> I just moved across the world, and you're paying like I don't know, kind of a lot of money for this, and <laughs> you've got four songs and some riffs, you know. Like, <laughs> and so we, you know, now we got to fucking call the million dollar studio. Hey. Can we push this back a little bit? Uh, we're, we're just not there. They were really cool about it. And then to your second point, I show up to the studio. Dude, we're talking just $10,000 mics up the wazoo. We got an SSL duality. We got like the real, like the real everything, the real LA-2A. We got, you got uh, three A's. We've got, uh, you name it, right? Beautiful live room. I'm like, oh, very cool. But I don't know if you experienced this. What is going on with these studios? who've got i don't know like basically a million dollars worth of gear but they still have like the apple like circle mouse the one that looks like a hockey puck and they've got like <laughs> and they've got like a monitor from like fucking like
0: 98 you know i know i know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about and
1: it's just like in like an old fucking weird mac that like is still running on like normal like old spindle hard drives and takes like 10 minutes to boot
0: you know? <laughs> Yep, (laughs) I've been there before (laughs) God, I've had situations too Where you get to one of those places And they have like the SSL And the Million Dollar Room And the patch bay just doesn't work
1: Oh, I just, just went through it I just, to, <laughs> I just went through it, the house engineer is a nice dude. But he was just like, he was so stressed because I was like, what I wanted to do, I was like, listen, I don't know the room. You got a lot of nice gear, so I want to grab all this. I just want to take, let's take all our input channels and let's molt everything. I was like, we'll use this half of the SSL for basically mic to converters to hard drive. Boom, that's it. Just straight mic to drive, done. I was like, and then we'll to use the patch bay, let's molt out so that, let's grab all this outboard gear. And on the other half of the duality, I'm going to just kind of go maybe a little bit more aggressive than usual. And I'm going to EQ this kit on the fly. Like I'm going to use all these awesome outboard EQs and all these compressors, and I'm going to bring it in on the right side of the console and we'll do that. And he's like, okay, cool. But the, you know, it didn't work. Like the fucking patch base just wasn't wired. Right. Nothing was phase aligned. So like, <laughs> I, I couldn't like, if I wanted to like use, all right, well I went too like if I went too hard on the compression on the snare, let me use the dry snare and I'll recompress that. That's now irrelevant because it's not phase aligned with the outboard processed toms that I like, you know, or the overheads or whatever. So now you're just like, you basically got to pick one or the other. I don't know, shit like that where you're like, come on, like, why would you spend all this money and just like not not
0: have it dialed. That's, well, that's that's what I mean about the professionalism part is, like, I feel like there's some, sometimes there's just this, I don't know, something missing. Like, uh, there's, like, this level of togetherness that is missing in some of these places that they just don't know. Because, like, for instance, go to a studio like the hideout the hideout in Vegas that the Churcos own we just did the last two nail the mixes there and it's gorgeous unbelievable and just multiple rooms with huge amazing boards everything's top of the line and then on top of that everything works and if it doesn't work they have replacements and uh You need a new monitor or something, they'll wheel it in. You need this, you need that, they'll wheel it in. You need this patch to this, they'll do it. Everything just works. You need new monitors, cool, got some. You need a TV, got one too. Like, anything you need is taken care of. And on a much smaller level, that's how I've always tried to run my studios, you know, within within my abilities. So, for instance, like with my patch bay... At my old place, my goal was to make it so that any engineer or producer from anywhere could come in and understand it, and use it, and figure it out within thirty minutes of being there. Like figure out how to use my whole room within thirty. Yeah, minutes. Yeah, of course. Because obviously, and when you first arrive to a studio, you're going to need a second to familiarize yourself with what's there. But uh, you know that that aside, the goal was always. Make everything just work so that when they get there, they can get to work. Have nothing be so messed up that I can't fix it, like within, oh, that's not working? Okay, here, here, I'll I'll show up and uh, tweak this one thing and now it's working. Make sure that all the gear is maintained so that if they need something It's not like, oh, we had it, but it's getting fixed. Do they need different kinds of cables in order to connect something? I mean, I don't use many TRS cables, but I know lots of guys do. So have all the different kinds of uh, TRS cables with XLR connectors on the other side. Just things like that, that I've noticed the good studios do take care of that stuff for the one situation where someone will need it. And then all these other places don't. Like, they'll spend the money on the really, really expensive stuff, and then they'll forget that different people need to come in and plug stuff into it. And they might need different kinds of cables to plug their gear into it or whatever. It just seems like there's a level of customer service that these people aren't thinking of.
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing, too. Like, I've known a lot of dudes who've recorded in the area or whatever who went out of business because they thought that good gear will bring in clients. Nope. <laughs> Not even close. Like, what have you done? How much does it cost? When can we get in? How long is it going to take? It's so much more, like, relevant to landing clients than gear. I, I do occasionally get those fans who are just, like, really concerned that their shit's going to run through X, Y, sure, like, well, fine. But who cares? It's irrelevant. Like, do you like the work I do? Then cool. Like, you who Why do you? I can make it with a goddamn fucking, fucking talkboy effects. You know? <laughs> Who cares? Yeah.
0: Well, I think if a lot of people knew what actually went on the records they listened to, they'd be surprised. Like, like I remember even ten years ago, or more that, you know, the kidney bean pod that everyone makes fun Oh, the of, red one, yeah. Yeah. But that thing was used on so many huge Uh records. And I mean, I know it doesn't sound great, but again, back to what we're saying, it goes down to who's using it. So I know that that thing was used on lots of massive records. And people thought that, I know lots of people who would think that it was, uh, you know, some massive guitar chain with like all these expensive amps. And then you find out, Nope, they just used a kidney bean pod totally. and a story. And the guitar player was probably super
1: good, and he was like, "Oh yeah, cool, that sounds fine." Yep. And he's like, "My job, yep. my job here is to express myself with my
0: instrument, not worry about what's in between me and what I hear." Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, th- and that's not to say that you shouldn't try to get the best tools you can get, but just that they'll only take you so far.
1: Yeah, and honestly, like. And if you if you're like not very good at this, then having too many tools will probably just fuck you up anyway. Uh, just start simple. It just I'm like very put that destination in your mind and start finding the most efficient way to get to where you're going. And that's not to be lazy or anything like that. Sometimes that takes a bunch of microphones. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, it's like. Well, a lot of people. Famous thing with me when I record bands, they really want to see my guitar chain, all this stuff, and it, we do run through a lot of like beautiful amps and beautiful pre's and EQs and all that stuff is fine. Um, but a lot of times they go like, "So, you're only using one mic?" and I go, "Yep." And they go, "But like, isn't two better?" <laughs> you know? You're like, <laughs> "You're like, no, actually, like, no, like, a lot of people think two is better because." When they hear it, they get the 3 dB boost from two source signals being near identical. And so it sounds louder. And they're like, yeah, fuck yeah, that sounds great. But truthfully, good luck with your phase, right? Like, you got to get your phase right. So if you can do it with one, you immediately rule out like a whole other issue that you'll have to deal with. If you can get your guitars done with one microphone, you don't have to worry about phase. Now, of course, if you can't get it done with one, if it's not sounding right, and two mics makes it sound like how you want it, cool, but just know that you're going to have to deal with this other issue, which is, you know, phase alignment between mics, which, by the way, will never be quote-unquote perfect, but it might be cool.
0: Might be. I have a funny story. Um, A lot of gear I inherited was... I had not inherited, like nobody died, but I inherited it from a failed experiment. <laughs> this, uh, this guy in Florida, super rich, I think he invented some sort of kiosk thing at the airport. Okay. I don't know if it's the one that spits out your tickets, but he invented something like that and made tens of millions of dollars off of it. And his son wanted to learn recording. So he asked Jason Sukov for some what gear to buy. And Jason went nuts with recommendations. And so this dude bought his 10-year-old son. First of all, he built him a perfect room pretty much, like crazy room. And he bought him like a $25,000 system, Um, like Pro Tools HD all the way, like the nicest chairs, like monitors, like and the kid had never even tried recording before and uh it it got used for about 4 months and then i ended up with most uh, of it oh
1: that's so sick
0: yeah and those recordings sounded so bad the gear doesn't matter it doesn't
1: matter yo here's things here's something i don't know how to do i don't know how to fix my car i just don't like when something goes wrong with my car i i'm fucked right so you could be like <laughs> got
0: to get a real man got to get do a it. real
1: man you know big huge car fixing dick and shit (laughs) like I, you know you fucking you can put me in a shop and be like here you go Jay here's all the best shit (laughs) your car's fucked up so here you go you should probably be able to make like a pretty sweet car now (laughs) (laughs) like nah man like I don't know how to use this shit
0: (laughs) man you put me in that situation and uh, the car is gonna get worse yeah right totally I will definitely be fucking that car up (laughs) unquestionably (laughs) (laughs) so do you go anywhere else for recording or is it mainly just australia oh no no i've gone i've
1: gone uh many places uh i've done a couple records in italy uh went to nice yeah i went to germany last year and did some pre-pro with the band they decided to after talking with them they decided to cut their record at my studio here in boston so they we did the pre-pro not too far from munich and then uh, they came back here last January, and that record actually went to number two in the German mainstream charts. Like we, oh, yeah, shit. we fucking ki- killed nice. it. Yeah, and I think you know it's funny. These you get all different types of dudes who come in, or clients, or and girls too. Actually, this, this uh, there was a girl who sang for this band, super babe, and uh, really nice. And my process, I think, you know, especially you get a band, they've like dealt with other producers, and some of these fuckers are like all uptight and they come and hang out with me and I'm very just like, cool, like let's do some shit. And you know, when you're used to that, like uptight process, sometimes I think maybe I'm like a little bit more punk than like, I think we make records that sound better than like the vast majority of punk records because I'm a huge nerd. I really love what I do, but whatever. But sometimes I don't show it enough, you know, just with like my, like, I'm not like an uptight dude. So people come in and I will say things like, oh, yeah, I've never done this before, but sounds cool, so sweet. And the, you see like the <laughs> panic on their face. We're like, what do you mean you've never done this before? There must be a formula. And I'm like, no, 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 my formula is no formula, you know? And yeah, so it, it, And some people are just like, yo, that is so awesome that you don't fucking care. I mean, I care about the output, but like, I don't care how I get there. And But then some people who are like, but isn't it better if you low pass the, nah, I'm like, shut up, you know, like, it
0: sounds good. It's, so stop reading gears. Yeah, sluts. dude, totally. Get off the forums. Let me make the record.
1: Yep. Right. It, well, I just, I honestly, uh, I do like the quick, like slow spin around in my chair, like Doctor Evil style, you know. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like petting the yeah, cat for sure. Yeah. You know? I'm just like, why are you here? Right. Like
0: you're here because you like the shit I did. Right. So this is how I do it. Is that the conversation you have? Like, uh, this is actually interesting to me. This topic because. We get asked this a lot, and a lot of our subscribers have an issue gaining the trust of their clients. And it's obviously a tough thing to do when you don't have credits yet. The more credits you have and the more of a reputation you have, the more that people will inherently trust you because you have a wide body of work that precedes you, and they're going to you because of that. So... That makes it a lot easier like you're pre-qualified in a way to uh, to tell them what to do so of course it's definitely a lot harder when you're an unknown but still you get backseat drivers oh, yeah. and uh, armchair quarterbacks in the studio so how do you deal with it now and how did you deal with it when you were first starting? Has it changed? I think the fundamental process hasn't changed and that's I don't really think
1: I'm quote unquote like better than any. Like, so in my opinion, ultimately, we're dealing with art, right? So, like, there is no definitive opinion on art, but I'm more than happy to challenge you on, like, if you're coming to me, like, real hot with, like, this opinion about my recording process, you know, say before people knew fucking jack shit about my records or whatever, um, I would say, Okay, cool. Like, well, let's just try that. And that can be fucked up because then people will be like, whoa, you just like accepted my suggestion. So does that mean you like don't know what you're doing? (laughs) You know? And it's like, no, I just like all suggestions are welcome and you want to try it? Let's try it. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, we're trying this because maybe you're right. No, I probably don't think you're right. That's probably why we weren't doing it in the first place. But it's just better at that point, at that stage in my, whatever career that I didn't know was going to be a career yet. Like, it was better to let them do the thing that they thought and then watch it not be the outcome they expected it to, even though I already knew that. And by doing that, that was a way for me inside of the session to gain a little trust. Yeah, maybe it takes 15 minutes. And then we listen to it. And then I, after they're disappointed with the outcome of like their viewpoint on recording of which they have no fucking experience on but read on a forum, you know, like I... Can then have a little bit more leverage to say, okay, so here's why I didn't think that was gonna work. Here's why I'm going the way I'm going, and whatever. And then I have for a long time and still continue to say, close your eyes, fuck the process. Do you like how this sounds? You know? And that's a much simpler question to ask because they can go, well, yeah. And then you go, great. Or they go, no, it's close, but I just thought it would be warmer. And you go, okay. I'm used to these like client adjectives, punchy, warm, whatever. Right. So I I have things I do when I hear them and I start doing those things. And it, dude, it could be like the smallest turn of a knob. And next thing you know, they're like, Oh my God. Yes. I love it. And the process is we didn't reinvent the wheel. We took the exact same process. And I, I don't know, I fucking notched a frequency, you know, like, and that's all I did. So it can totally depend. Now it's, I, I do more or less the same thing, but just that most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, my clients come in because they like previous work I've done. I would say, actually, more often than not now, I spend a little bit of time in the beginning of the session sort of like disenchanting the whole thing. Like, yo, I'm not Oz. I'm not fucking magic. I know a lot about this, but that doesn't make me more right. That doesn't, we're making art. So, like, I'm not. Don't just go, like, whatever you say, Jay. Like, that's my least favorite. Because then I'm just like, ugh, fuck, well, I don't know. Like, I guess I'll, is this cool? And they're like, yeah, do you like it? <laughs> you're like, yeah, I like it. Ah, uh,
0: I hate that yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, I like it. But do you, like,
1: I mean, if you like it, then yeah, I love it. And you're like, so you don't have any individual thought, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: then you hear about it in the mixed notes, though. Totally. That's, that's what I've noticed, is that when they don't uh, tell you, right away how they feel and they just defer to you. The the truth is gonna come out later yeah. when it's way more inconvenient. Yeah I'm and I'm lucky to be sort of
1: like a not shy guy. So I know that and I'm like, yo is this gonna like I I can just see your body language. Like I see that look on your face. I have seen this before. <laughs> you know like I think that you're not happy but you don't want to say anything. And then they'll get that little smirk, kind of like, yeah, that's actually kind of what's going on. And I'm like, cool, then let's fucking fix it. You know, now I want to do it now. I don't want to like, what, we're going to communicate through fucking email when you go back to Ohio or wherever, fucking North Dakota,
0: fucking Germany. Yeah, right,
1: Germany like we're via email. And, and then now we got a time zone barrier. We got like, Otherwise, I can just sit here and do stuff, and then you can immediately go, yep, but what now i got to send you a, a thing. you got to listen to it in your car and a thousand other systems and confer with all your homies, and then come back to me and be like, yes, it is better, but I thought that it might. That, that, and you're like, oh, my God, kill me. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> you know, let's do it now.
0: Man, there's a lot of power in the do it now. Um, we, we call it the hot potato principle, which is that you should treat tasks As though uh, you're holding a potato that was just baked and it's burning your fucking hand. And the longer you hold it, because they retain heat very well. I don't know if you've noticed, but if you bake a potato, it'll stay fucking burning for like an hour or more. Like the longer you hold it, the greater your pain is going to be. So we talk about tasks as being like that. You just get them done. There's a lot of power in just doing it now, I think. Uh, Totally. I mean, and you talking to you, Last time we talked about it, I said I was
1: like too fucking punk for DI's, and I, you know, I typically don't take DI's.
0: I do remember you <laughs> yeah, said that. Like, yeah, I, I, uh I said like, because I'm Ball, ballsy, man. Famous last words with that. No, nah, I just, dude, it's fine. I, I dude,
1: I don't take DIs. I'm, ter- I do some edits. I just delete the original shit. Dude, there's just like in my, there is no backwards in my head. There's like, we go forward only. And, but you know, it takes a level of experience and confidence to be able to just go forward. But that's something I learned. I remember, you know, I was hanging out at God's city and I saw Kurt EQing and compressing shit on the way in. And he's just like, yeah, man, that's what separates the men from the boys. And I was like, whoa, that is, <laughs> that is fucking punk. I like that. So I wasn't as good as him yet, so I just, but I just started like fucking kind of adapting that. I was like, I love it, dude. I do weird shit too. We're like in Cubase, we can put plugins on like the input channels and they print right into the file. So like, let's say I want to like have a stereo delay on the guitar, like And I tell the clients up front, like this, these plugins I'm putting on, like they're getting written into the file as we play. So, like if you don't like something ever, tell me, because you cannot undo. You basically can't undo anything I'm doing. Like that's it. Like this is what we're doing, and we're doing it because if we like it today, why wouldn't we like it tomorrow? And let's not get. And it also stops us from being
0: myopic. And if you don't, you can wake up tomorrow and not like it we we'll just retrack it. It's fine. And you want to know something, man? With certain types of things like delays or guitar effects or sounds like that that you create in the moment with a guitar player or musician, that's the kind of stuff that you can't get back.
1: I so totally agree.
0: You may as well do it right then and there and get it right because no amount of tinkering after the fact is going to bring you back to what it was, in my opinion.
1: I totally agree. And as a guitar player, man, I want to play... Like I'm a guitar player, so I want to play to how it's gonna be. I don't wanna play to a fucking grid and then have some loser tell me, just wait, man, when I'm done, this is gonna be sick, (laughs) you know? And now what I gotta like (laughs) fucking trust you? Like, nah, like why don't we make it sick now? (laughs) Like, are you gonna be
0: ten times the engineer next week when you mix this? No. So just let's do it now. I have a theory that lots of these uh Lots of these methods of recording were developed by people who had to solve a problem, and the problem was the musicians. Sure, and so they were they were created by uh, by engineers who had to deal with musicians who liked to uh, write beyond their means of you know like write beyond their ability to actually play stuff. Oh yeah, but uh, still had to get the stuff done. Like, for instance, I'm pretty sure that the Andy Sneep sound of the early 2000s happened because he had to mix an album that was tracked kind of shitty, and he couldn't use lots of the natural drums right. because they sounded horrible. And so he got that Fat City snare and just made it sound big, and then that band got huge, and that became the sound. Yeah. But the sound that he created was based on fixing... A shitty recording and I know that a lot of these like editing tricks or note-by-note recordings or or slip editing uh style recordings that uh, spawns from just dealing with shitty guitarists a lot so I think that it does need to be said that while I love what you're saying um and I wish that every project could be like that I feel like the musicians need to be on a certain level in order to be able to do that, and I know that with Kurt, for instance, I don't. I'm pretty sure that he still lives by this. He, if they can't play it, he won't record right. that. And, and you can do that. You can do that. I guess in some genres, though, you can't always get away with that because, like, say you work in a more like I guess a commercial metal genres. So, well, one of the things that's rampant in those genres is that motherfuckers can't play. Right. So. Some of these techniques are there just to get you out of a problem.
1: Totally, yeah. And when the musician's a problem uh, and you're a guy like me, it's probably a bigger problem than when you're a guy not like me. I've done it. I've done it all. I've done the DI shit. I've edited the fucking guitar DIs and the band. I've done the reamps and cool. That's cool. It doesn't, I'll do it. Like, if we have to do it, I'll do it. I'll do whatever we have to do because I'm like, you came to me. We came to make a record, and if that's what we have to do, I'm down. But if there's a guitar player in the room, that's like better than everybody else, and he's better than the bass player, and he's whatever. Then we're gonna have the chat. We're gonna say, "Yo, you guys are all lovely people," but.
0: And you look lovely today. Yeah, and
1: you look great. You know, like we'll grab some coffee and beers later, whatever. But. (laughs) <laughs> Guitar player number one here Is really fucking good And you should probably just let him do it <laughs> You know, <laughs> like he's just yeah, <laughs> That's it <you> know? <laughs> Like, And I don't feel bad Because it was, it's your call So if a label's paying me, I gotta do the right thing For them, I, I gotta make it The best sounding record I possibly can If the band's paying me, the conversation's a little bit more open My name still goes on it So, you know, it's a weird thing But it's like, it was your job To know how to do this And you don't know how to do it. So it's no diss because this happens all the time. I'm not mad at you. is what it is. Like, your jokes are super funny. I wish your feet didn't smell so bad. But you aren't, (laughs) like, as good at guitar as this other dude. And we came to make a record. We didn't come to Stroke Egos. So uh, we're just going to have this guy do it. And, yeah, you're bummed. And you're going to text your girlfriend about what an asshole I am, I guess. But, yo, you're the asshole. You're supposed to know how to do it. You know not to do it. so, And you showed up, and you didn't know. You didn't do your fucking
0: homework. So what
1: do you want? You get a bad grade.
0: <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting that you put it that way. Um, back in the day before my band was signed, I got a bad reputation around town for firing people sure. from the band. And I, because, you know, people would get fired, then they would go tell all their friends at the tattoo yep. shop that I was a monster and people hated me. But the way I saw it was, they're the fucking dicks. We like I set a standard I wanted it to be at, and I told them, and we had songs and that you had to know how to play. And if you weren't good enough, then what are we doing? Right. Like why like if you're not gonna do the the work, then wh- what are we doing this for? I, I'm not in this to fuck around. I'm in this for career. And if you're not, that's fine. But, like, if you expect me to work with you, then you're just a fucking dick. Um, I'm not the dick. You're the dick for not putting in the work and for expecting me to lower my standards for you. Fully
1: with it, man. Fully with it.
0: Yeah. So maybe my problem was that I didn't communicate it as as cute as you do. (laughs) I could see that it would be hard to get mad at you if you communicated the way you do. And I got to say that there's something to be said for... uh, Knowing how to deliver tough news in a uh, with humor and grace that so to minimize emotional yep, trauma right. in your clients, but um, but I do completely agree that you're not the dick if you're the one who has to uh, to have the chat because. It's not like you enjoy having that chat. No, I hate it. It sucks. They're the dicks for putting you in the position to have to even say it in the first place. Yeah, yeah,
1: totally. It's like, yo, I'm not mad at you. This happens all the time. I just have a little anxiety about it because the results of me saying this to bands varies band to band. You know, sometimes you get a guy who sucks but is mad hard-headed, and now you got to, like— deal with that it's not pleasurable <laughs> and then sometimes you know you get the sometimes oh you luck out you get the guys who come in and go you know what we want the best
0: thank god you said yeah, that
1: we we want yeah we want the best record possible anything you say is cool and if someone can play it better what there's no egos here they, the bands that come in are like yo, there's no egos here it just has to get done you're like oh that is so sick that is so sweet <laughs>
0: do you ever get the guys that are relieved
1: yeah all the time dudes who are just like oh thank i was i because they know. They're like, yo, I can't do it. Like, I'm not good. Like, I can fucking fake it a little bit on stage. Like, I'm pretty much just here to, like, impress girls and hang out with my friends. So, but like, this guy's the guy. There's always one guy who's the guy. And he's gonna do it. Like, he's the best. He wrote the goddamn songs. And now he's, what, like, he's, he's given away his parts to people who didn't write them, aren't as good, just out of some weird democratic fallacy you know and then as the engineer I got to sit there and go like oh well you know and, and weigh it out and I'd be like alright are these guys cool are they assholes can I tell you this are you going to freak out like what's going to happen ultimately I'm going to tell you and I hope it doesn't go poorly <laughs>
0: <laughs> so have you experienced the guy when you do have the guy in the band and uh, he's just way too nice Yeah, oh for sure for sure. I've experienced both ends.
1: I've got the guy who's the guy who's way too nice, who, if I let him do everything, we would have a sick record. And he's so fucking nice that like, that I, I'll just watch the rest of his band shit all over his art, you know? And then he's just sitting there going like, no, you got it, man. You got it. And I'm going... He does not have it. He's about three years away from having it. Like three years of dedicated (laughs) practice. This session's only two weeks long. So there's no way we've got three three years years to train Daryl how to fucking play triplets right. So, you know, we just got to let, you know, Ethan do it because he wrote it. So uh, I got I've I've had that. But my dude, because I I am. I am kind of like a nihilist, like dark guy. I love when one dude is like mad critical of everyone, you know, he's all up in everyone's ass about every fucking take. And then he comes up to the plate and he just fucking sucks.
0: You know, oh, yes, that's beautiful. Oh, God, it's
1: poetry, you know? <laughs> and I just go, I'm like, oh, I, I, I thought you were going to suck, and you do. This is great. <laughs> yeah, have you said no, that? Just, because then I just go, oh, my God. I just go, nope, wrong, behind, late, out of tune. Nope, try again. And I don't—
0: uh, Oh, yeah, you bring, you bring that
1: hammer and, and, and down. I know— and then I just yo, because know, he talked mad spit. He was just fucking ripping about everybody else. Then he comes up. I can't fucking play. So you're like, oh, you're a douche. You're an asshole. So I'm just I yeah, I'm just gonna silently <laughs> like <laughs> silently twist oh, that dude. Knife. I'm just gonna turn it just deep and fucking <laughs> the And then he has to bow out. Motherfucker has to put his tail between his legs, and we let Ethan back on the axe, and Ethan shreds it, and Daryl can piss off, and, you know, well, you shouldn't, you know, and I would have been nice to you, because if you're not super good at your instrument, but you're legit, you're honest, you're courteous, fucking nice human, because I'm not out have to get anybody, you know, if you're just like, yeah, like, if you can be... I don't know. Maybe this is fucked up. Maybe I should just be nicer. But like, if you could be, (laughs) if if you're like, Hey man, if, uh, if there's anything, please let me know. Uh, you know, I know that I'm struggling with this part or whatever. If you're coming to me and being like hundred percent real, yo, we are thick as thieves. We're bros. It's good for sure. But if you're going to fucking spit that fire at all your dudes, your friends, your bandmates, like, and, and then come up and suck it.
0: Now you can suck it, man. I have definitely dealt with those types too, and I cannot tell you the pleasure it used to give me to um, to watch them walk away defeated. It was just so it's good. fucked up because it, so good. It feels
1: amazing, and it, I understand. Like I am not blind to the fact that that kind of makes me a dark. Weird ass. I get it. Like, I get yeah,
0: it. Yeah. We're all, we're all dark, weird assholes in a <laughs> way. Like, I mean, we do work on like, I, I think that the kind of, even though like we don't work in the same exact genre, like being attracted to these genres, like I think anyone who makes a living out of these has got to have a little bit of dark weirdo in there. Yeah, it's
1: just a weird, it's a weird job. Oh, what a weird thing. You can yeah.
0: tell your mom. What do you do? Oh, I fucking, I, you know. Uh, I sit in yeah, a cave like, <laughs> and look at a screen for, and listen to the same thing over and over and over and over again for about 12 to 16 hours for a day. For a
1: record that's going to sell like 10,000 copies. You know what I mean? Like make a nominal impact on society. <laughs> like,
0: but, you know, I, I just love it. Fucking love it. Have, has your love for it only increased? Has it stayed the same? Like, uh, do you feel about it differently now that I mean you're in a different place than you used to be yeah. like you were doing dude, dude in a band at one point now your dad yeah. traveling around producer, you've had underlings who've gone on to like do their own work like you're it's in a you're in a different place like has sounds like you're still passionate about uh, I'm it I'm so though. passionate you know one thing I realized
1: so you know with the band stuff, you know what really fucked us. Fucked me, fucked whatever, was was money. Always. It's like, yo, it's art. So if we're making art, whether it's with a band or with it's making a record, whatever, the moment you're depend you can't be dependent on art, in my opinion, and still like have as good of a shot at making the best quality output. I think you need a very low give a fuck about what anyone's gonna think to make an authentic product and so some things I've done as a human and as a dad and whatever as and for as much as I cuss and I'm insane like I you know I'm buying investment properties I'm putting I'm, I'm a good saver and I'm putting things together that set me up so I'm, I'm not like fucking rich or, or even close but I just like I'm doing things that make it so that I don't have to stress as much about
0: what I'm recording or like I don't know. Like I can have fun with it. You don't have to be, you don't have to be rich to have financial independence. Right.
1: That's exactly it. And so like, I can just kind of like a, a band comes in and I don't got to, I'm, I'm here to like make something that matters way more than I'm like stressed on anything else. I I'm, I'm here for the relationship between me and the artists. And I'm, uh, and if that relationship means like we're really concerned with making a popular poppy product, then I'll say, okay, cool. Like let's have fun with that. But I don't have to worry as much, not not. I have zero worries, but I don't have to worry as much about like stressing on it. So I think that keeps it fun. That keeps it, this is, I'm I'm doing this. It's at will. You know what I mean? Like I don't have, it's at will. I want to do it. Like, I think it's fucking great. So, you know, when I go to work every day, I think I'm doing this because like I chose to book this because I think this band's cool and like I I want to.
0: That, you know, I got to say that the thing that really made it tough for me, that made me seek other things, was financial stress. Not, and I've been doing well for years, but more just the financial stress that I have to take certain things. I had, well, had to take certain things that I hated. In order to, to fulfill X financial goal, and I guess that that sounds kind of spoiled, but if we're talking about art, you know, art doesn't care if you're spoiled yeah, right. or not, because art is just art. The <laughs> it lives in its own little world, and you have to be in the right mind state to make art. And uh, if you're worried about, if you're worried about money and you're not really into it, like, then how are you going to make the best art possible? Yeah. It's going to be tough. Yeah. Um, so it led me to seek all these other things I'm doing, but now I'm a much happier person. Of course, man. So of course. It makes, a, it makes a huge, huge difference. And I think that it's interesting you said that about that fucking your band, too. Because um, the level of hatred that my band developed for each other when we were financially stressed was unbelievable. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, that's the realest shit for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. That
0: is, that is a level of hate. <coughs> That uh, I hope I never experience again in my I life. Know.
1: I just recently started. I guess it's kind of announcing it now a little bit, but like I just recently started a new thing. I thought I was done, you know, with with being in bands. But I we're not going to do like what we used to do, or even close. But I did start kind of like a new a new deal with. I really cherry picked the people that I've worked with over the years that I think have something special to their playing, to their delivery, to their vocals. I picked and people that I thought would sort of gel with me artistically, you know, I, I am fortunate that I've worked with so many people that, and I have these great relationships. I picked something. I'm really, really proud of what we've done so far. And, um, you know, right from the rip on this, the deal is like, we're not going to tour full time. This will never pay anybody's fucking bills. Like, yes, I'm fortunate to have connections. Yes. It'll probably come out on a cool label. Uh, yes, we'll probably do some a Eurofest here and there. You know what I mean? But like, we're not like, I'm done circling the fucking country in an econo line trying to sell shirts to kids because I have to. You know, it's like, we're, we're going to make something that we think. You already did that. Oh, I did it. Oh, I did. So like, yeah, now now it's like, no, nah, like, no, 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 like, I'm not going to play shows for a living. I'm going to make art. And if people, if enough people want to see it live, we'll you know, we'll consider going and facilitating that. But I'm not going to be like, yo, we need to take this tour because like we can convert their fans and then their fans will like us.
0: No, 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 no. (laughs) nope. Those days are over. You know, I don't have a desire to be in a band now, but if I ever did get the bug again, it would be a thing like that where I know enough musicians to where I know I can get together something really incredible I know I can get it on a cool yep. label if if that's even needed. Right. I know that we could get to the point of doing some cool festivals and all that stuff. And that would be fine with me. But I would never in my life agree to jump in a van again. Probably not even a bus, maybe a bus, depending on yes. the situation. But probably not. Probably but definitely never a van ever gonna It my all life. depends. Like, you know, I got
1: my my wife's great. So she was like, she worked for Resist Records in Sydney. She's booked international tours. She ran like, in my opinion, like the best like rock, punk rock, hardcore venue in Sydney. You know. And then she met my stupid ass and fucking moved to America. And we had a baby. And now you ruined her, ruined life. her life. Just like and, and there's and there's a laundry list of women who would would check off J Moss ruined my life. And this is yeah, here we go. There's another one. But she's sticking with it. And um, if I'm gonna go out and do this stuff, man, like. like, dude, I'm bringing the fam now. Like I'm, my wife's come in and she can like tour manage or just, or she can just hang. We'll get someone else to do it. Like my, dude, my son's going to come and I'm not going to go out until fucking, you know, they can, I want, I want to do it as like, I want my family to travel with me. I want this experience. I want my son to not be some nationalist douchebag and Meet people from other countries and realize we're all the same, just like I got to do with music. I want him to experience things that are just outside that mediocrity that can be the fucking American dream. Don't get me started on this shit. But, like, I want, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I want him to have these experiences that are unique and different. And he doesn't have to give a shit about music, but I think just traveling alone, maybe going to a fest, maybe meeting some people, maybe whatever, even at a young age, being socialized, I think that is just so sick and not just sit in our fucking house scared
0: of stuff, you know? I can tell you that I was traveled from a young age all over the world because my dad would do concerts in different places. And it gave me a perspective on the world that I only find in other people who have been around a lot. Like people who know how good we have it here, but also know what isn't good about it and know what's good about other places or terrible about other places. But that it's not just this place rules and everything else (laughs) sucks. It's It's a wide world out there and there's... Everything from amazingness to horrible hell um, that you can encounter in that wide world. But I think that it's really, really important to see it from a young age because uh, there's something about it being part of your character, that perspective, that worldly perspective, that I think will set someone up for a better life, in my opinion.
1: Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I have an interesting perspective where I like... Um I didn't get to do any of that shit till my mid to late 20s. So I was just a dude like in America doing America guy stuff. And I had I traveled to, to, you know, California, Boston a lot in Seattle, like where I'm originally from. But um, and that was something that maybe was a little bit more than uh, some of the other friends I had had done. But once, you know, my band kind of got some legs and we were just kind of going everywhere. Probably my favorite thing about the whole experience is how it changed me as a person. I, I feel like I grew so much. Just traveling and realizing that everybody just likes the same stuff. They want to fucking laugh, eat stuff, hang out, probably bang, uh, drink, sleep, you know, let's like, go you know, like swimming. Like... Everyone kind of likes the, you know what I mean? Everyone kind (laughs) of likes the same stuff. And yeah, you think God's real. And well, guess what, man? I don't. Oh, well, swimming's awesome though, right? And like, I don't know, (laughs) you know, like, who cares?
0: I I completely agree. I think that most people, most people will get over that kind of stuff if uh, you find something in common like swimming or music. And I've gone to some pretty scary places too, where, uh. Music makes them a lot less scary because the people are into what you're bringing. It's interesting how there are some places where if you just went there as a tourist, your experience would be far different than if you went there as someone bringing music.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I would say I had that experience in Russia and I had it in Israel too, where I was like, wow, these places are very, very not Western. They are not like America whatsoever. But... The people I was with, they were awesome. And they were like, do you want to smoke this weed? And I was like, I don't even really smoke weed. But yeah, let's do that. Like, sure, we're swimming in the Dead Sea high as fuck. Who can beat that? I don't even really like getting high. You know, but I was just like, this is an awesome experience. (laughs) So I'll fucking win in Rome, or in this case, win in the Dead Sea. You know, like, just do it. Aren't you glad you did? Oh, dude, are you kidding? (laughs) It's amazing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that place is pretty rad. I love it there. Man, I think it's so cool that you're uh, that all this cool stuff you've done you're uh, passing down. Trying to that that's the yeah, goal for sure. Well, like like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I've talked to a lot of kids, or well, they're not kids now, but dudes who did get that, and they're typically remarkable people. Cool. Well, fingers crossed for Dean. I'm sure it'll work out just fine. But uh, hey, so. I think I'm going to end the podcast now because we've gone way over quite yep. long <laughs> yeah no which is great love that I'm sure that we could keep going too just like we said last time so I'm going to just open the invite now to have you come back on in a few oh, months oh cool yeah thanks man and keep the uh, keep the conversation going yeah I was I always love doing it so and uh, you know maybe at some point you want to do nail the mix if uh, not to put you on the spot I don't know if your mixing style is something that would be appropriate for it, but if you think it is, I think it would be really awesome to have you on, because I don't think we've had a mixer that does things your way yet.
1: Uh, I would actually, I would love that. Um, I uh, If for nothing else than just to offer people whatever it is to be my perspective, which might be contrasting to some other perspectives. If it offers them nothing more than to realize that there is no quote, unquote right way, then that alone is a, is a win for
0: me. Well, maybe we can talk about doing that later this year. Like when you're here, you really only need one weekend free to really do yeah, it. Cool. So, yeah. so I'm sure that we can figure that out. Dude, but, uh, down. Either way, man, Thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure. And uh, everyone, go to jmoss.com. That's M-A-A-S, right? Yeah, two
1: A's. It's Dutch, like the river in Holland. M-A-A-S.
0: That's right. And uh, go listen to his awesome work. (laughs) Thanks, man. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Ibanez Guitars and Basses. Ibanez strives to make high-quality, cutting-edge musical instruments that any musician can afford and enjoy. Visit ibanez.com for more info. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy slash podcast and subscribe today.